When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. Welcome back to the Final Four. Is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and Rod, we're inching closer and closer to the season. Um, the football team's off to a, a surprisingly great start. Uh, that was an amazing game against Miami the other day. Um, and we got a recruit um, that committed today, Jackson Kohler. Um, what are you hearing about this kid? Um, well, it's I to tie in with the football stuff you mentioned. Um, I put a post up uh, earlier today we're, we're recording this about eight o'clock on sunday um i put a post up maybe about an hour and a half ago mm-hmm. uh indicating you know retweeting his commitment tweet and um and also mentioning that we were going to be recording this and uh that post got liked by none other than mel tucker <laughs> so, <laughs> so i'm feeling pretty good about that um yeah uh it's a big deal. Yeah. Right. Uh, there was a lot. And, and to put this, how quickly this came together into perspective, MSU had not even offered um, Jackson Kohler the last time we recorded a podcast, um, which was what I think in late August, maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, it came right after that. And they had been they had been in touch with him since July, since Peach Jam, but it really ramped up after he took home MVP honors at a well-established, long, uh, long-respected camp called the Pangos Camp, mm-hmm. um, where he scored 53 points and 23 grabbed 23 rebounds, and I, I think it was the championship game. Um, now, here's an interesting note on Jackson Kohler, for me at least, personally. I've actually seen him play live, mm-hmm. which you might think is strange considering he's a kid from Utah. He's played his entire career in high school and prep school, either well, two schools in Utah, and then this year he's going to be in a, a new prep school called Southern California Academy. Um, which coincidentally or not, um, another MSU target in the 23 class, Braylon Green, is going to play at after transferring out there from Ypsilanti Lincoln. And we'll get back to Braylon Green later in this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, but they're going to be teammates um, this season. So you might say, where did you see him? Well, Jackson Kohler, people may remember this, longtime listeners to our podcast. This is... About two and a half years ago, I think, I think I've got the timing right. I watched a game at the Indianapolis EYBL stop between Bates Fundamentals with Imani Bates and company versus a team called SFG, Striving for Greatness, 
the biggest name on that team was Bronny James, LeBron mm-hmm. James' yeah. son. And, and this was a – Imani Bates had an unreal game in a loss um, in front of LeBron. I mean, just absolutely put on a show. It's the best I've ever seen Imani Bates play. He was incredible that day. But his team still lost. And a big part, both figuratively and literally, of the reason they lost that game was the kid that just committed to Michigan State, Jackson Kohler. I remember him. He was uh, obviously quite a bit younger than he than he is now. Time's moved on. Um, he wasn't in as good shape as he looks to be today. But he was very big. And Bates' fundamentals at that time really had no size. Mm-hmm. Amani was their biggest player, but of course he didn't play inside. They just didn't have anybody that could that could answer Jackson Kohler. And I didn't know who Jackson Kohler was. It was at the time, I mean, who it was a California based AAU team. You're like, this has nothing to do with Michigan State in any way, right? <laughs> at the time. But when the news got out, it, it was funny. He had the he had the appearance the uh MVP performance in the Pangos All-Star game. That got a lot of attention on social media because of the numbers. 53 and 23 is going to grab people's attention. Yeah. Right? Um, and and I looked at Scott, that kid looks familiar. And then the news came out about Michigan State offering him the next day, I believe it was. And I started looking at him, and I could connect the dots. That that's the kid I saw play. And he was a problem. <laughs> and and at the time, again, he he was a rougher version of what he appears to be now. But even back then, you could see some of the things that have people excited about him, namely that he knows who he is and he plays that way. Mm-hmm. Meaning he's not he's not trying to go coast to coast. He's not constantly jacking up threes. He played largely around the rim that day, used his size well, and he finishes well, finished well that day. But he was really a problem for for Bates, um, for the team, I mean. Uh, so then you flash forward to now, and Michigan State is recruiting this kid who I never would have suspected would have ever ended up on their radar. And, um, and frankly, probably would not have been offered if they had landed uh, a couple of other kids that they had recruited earlier in the process. If they, if they had landed Terrace Reed, for example, which at one point Michigan state felt very good about, mm-hmm. I don't think they ever get to offering Jackson Kohler. They might not have even offered him if they'd gotten Isaac Trout or Jalen Washington. Those were the three kind of power forward slash centers that they were in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't get any of them, of course. You know, Washington goes to Carolina, Trout's going to Virginia, and Reed is going, unfortunately, to Michigan. Um, but that opened up the possibility. Now, MSU did offer a kid, Brandon Huff, from the Illinois Wolf program um, back in, I think it was June. It was either June or July. And he was an AAU teammate of former target Jordan Shute, who ended up committing to Duke. Uh, haven't heard much about that. Mm-hmm. And so I assume that's not going anywhere. Um, but they, they quickly not, you know, not too long after that offered Kohler. And here we are, you know, they offered him in the tail end of August. He very quickly scheduled an official, which he took last weekend 
which happened to be the big MSU alumni gathering. It was part of Grind Week, which we can talk about in a bit, uh, where Travis Walton was in for the whole week with a bunch of trainers he pulled together from around the country, Mm -hmm. um, not all with MSU ties, and they worked with the MSU players, and that culminated in the weekend when pretty much everybody, I think, who's in the NBA currently from MSU was back, plus some other guys. And, of course, the usual, you know, a, a smattering of older alums uh, as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and that seems to have done it. Um, if you read the quotes that have come out today and in the immediate aftermath of that visit, he was just knocked out by everything. Uh, was and, and, honestly, you could not have a better environment for a recruiting visit than the one Michigan State had last weekend. With right. all those guys back, I mean, it's you look at Draymond Green, Jaron Jackson, Gary Harris, Xavier Tillman, Denzel Valentine, Mateen Cleaves was around. Um, you know, you go on and on and on. Um, that's going to have an impact. Now, this is a kid I will note, and I think I noted this on the Spartan Mag board at the time, because he's played with LeBron's son for, I don't know, four years or so, maybe even longer, mm-hmm. uh, in AAU, I don't know that I would expect him to be totally starstruck. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> but beyond that, if you're a big man and you walk into that environment where you have Jaron Jackson, Draymond Green, and Xavier Tillman, that is going to say something to you, especially two of those guys, Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman, you can look at as prime examples of what development can do for you. Now, that's not all Michigan State. That's not even mostly Michigan State. you got to give credit to those guys as individuals, first and foremost. But it, it is somewhat Michigan State. <laughs> it, it's not no Michigan State involvement in that. And, and Jackson Kohler, we'll get into, you know, the strengths and weaknesses and how he's viewed and all that. But um, this is a kid with a lot of potential. But if he wants to be an NBA player at some point, he has work to do. Mm-hmm. He is developing to do. And I've long maintained that there are very few places in the country that you could go as a big man and give yourself a better shot to develop into something. Uh, than Michigan State. I think they do an outstanding job in every respect. I think, first of all, they utilize the big men, which is important. Um, not every program can say that, really, especially in the modern game. Mm-hmm. Um, their strength and development, uh, strength conditioning program, the way that they develop bodies, they help guys change their bodies over time. That's a big deal. And and the thing that's going to apply most to Jackson Kohler, in my opinion, in terms of what his future may be. And we, we talk about this all the time, right? At Michigan State, you can't play if you can't guard. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jackson Kohler is going to have to make development if he wants to be a very, very good college player and maybe a professional player at some level. Um, he's got to get better at that end. And I think there are very, very few places in the country that are that would be better for a big man who needs that kind of work to come to the Michigan State because one thing is for certain you are going to be held accountable mm-hmm. and if you want to play you're going to have to guard 
and you can't just Tom Izzo is not going to hide people. He's not going to sacrifice defense for offense, not indefinitely. He might do it for a stretch, but if you want to be a guy who's a main cog in the, in the operation and you want to play a lot of minutes and you want to be a, a big time presence on the court, you're going to have to defend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the, we can, we don't have to go back that far. We can go back only as far as the night, uh, the 2018-19 season. Nick Ward gets hurt, and when he comes back, Michigan State, Xavier Tillman had made his final push mm-hmm. to become you know, a central piece of what Michigan State was doing, and Nick Ward couldn't get back in the starting lineup again. You know, because Xavier Tillman just made them better in every respect, but especially defensively. Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm not trying to knock Nick, but there, Nick Ward was never the defender Xavier Tillman was. That was a primary example of what I'm talking about. You want to be a big wheel at Michigan State, you better check. And, and so I think he made a great business decision, so to speak, for himself. I don't know how it's going to turn out for him, obviously. Nobody does. But I've said this about other guys. You know, I think Vernon Carey made a huge mistake when yeah. he picked Duke. Yeah. Because at Duke, they're going to hide you. If you, you. Coach K cares about defense, but he will hide a guy. You know, he won't sacrifice offense to get better defense. He will just hide a guy and figure he can survive it. Some years it's worked out and some it hasn't. Vernon Carey, as an individual, though, did himself a huge disservice by going to a place where he wouldn't be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And his you know? draft stock dropped quite a bit from yeah. kind of what well, he's expected kind of coming into that year. And, he, you know, just as a point of comparison, who do you think's got the better NBA future, Vernon Carey or Xavier Tillman? Yeah. I, I'm not saying that Vernon Carey could have ever been X. You know, there are physical differences, et cetera. But I can tell you this. I think he'd be a little further along at becoming the kind of defensive player he needs to be to have a long NBA future if he'd come to Michigan State. Yep. I, I just I firmly believe that. Um, but but Jackson Kohler, I think that is a I, I'm not saying that's the reason he made the decision, but it's a smart it's going to prove to be a smart decision in my opinion because he's going to be held accountable. And if he's going to play, he's going to have to get better at that end. And that's exactly what I think his game needs because offensively, there's a lot to like. Yeah, I mean, that's the very first thing that stuck out to me is he just looks like a Michigan State big. Um, You know, kind of a prototype. Uh, Back to the basket, really good. Good footwork, good positioning. Um, There's a lot to like with him offensively for sure. Yeah, um, some some listeners probably know the name Vince Baldwin. Vince Baldwin uh, has for a long time now been a guy that works with Nike in player development and establishing relationships, all those kind of things. For years, he used to run a scouting magazine website called Prep Spotlight. Mm-hmm. And then before that, he was one of the people that was – involved in the founding of the family AAU team out of, uh, out of Detroit. Um, his son is, I don't know if his son is on the football team this year or is going to be on the team next year, but he was a Juco offensive lineman 
who committed to Michigan State. Uh, I, I do recall that happening. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Vince Baldwin, longtime guys involved in McDonald's All-American game selection, you know, just inside as inside can be. Uh-huh. He had a tweet tonight where he, he said that Jackson Kohler has the best footwork of any big man he's seen since Kevin McHale. Wow. <laughs> now, that's a statement. <laughs> but if you watch the clips and there are a lot of them that are out there you can see what he's getting at even mm-hmm. if you want to say well there's a little bit of hyperbole there this kid's foot where you say he's a prototypical michigan state big man i i get what you're saying in terms of style etc yeah but i think offense i think offensively this might be the kid with the best low post skill set that tom Izzo's ever had well let me let me let me back off that a half step Best since Zach Randolph. Mm. Um, I think he's better than Nick Ward, and, uh, and I'll give you two reasons why. I think he truly can finish with both hands. Nick wasn't quite as effective that way. And the other thing, which is a big deal, he is a much, much better passer. And mm. so I don't think he's going to struggle with doubling the way Nick did, which really, as Nick's career went on, took away from how effective he was on the blocks. Um, this kid is offensively, I mean, the bag of tricks is immense. You know, I saw somebody else comparing him to a, a better shooting version of Ethan Happ, the Wisconsin, the guy who played at Wisconsin mm-hmm. recently and was so good. Um, I get that as well, because again, like a lot of the better Wisconsin big men, he's not an explosive athlete. He's not going to you know, have a lot of rim rattling dunks or, you know, huge swoop in, put back jams, any of that stuff. It's going to be very, very um, smart, patient, and clever finishing mm-hmm. yeah. around the basket. Um, what is interesting about him, though, is that's not where it ends. As I say, he's a pretty good passer from what I've seen. So I like that. He's also got a really, really nice turnaround game. If you watch his clips, you'll see it over and over where he'll back somebody down to about 12 feet, let's say, uh, on the baseline, and he'll just spin and hit a turnaround jumper mm-hmm. yeah, like it's nothing. He, he's got that shot in his repertoire. I don't think you can say he's a knockdown three-point shooter yet, but the word is he's been consistently improving. And he is pretty reliable out to about 15 feet mm-hmm. in terms of face-up. He's got a decent handle, too. Again, I'm not saying I want to see him going off the dribble 20 times a game, but <laughs> he's he's got – his skill set really is complete on the offensive end in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a guy – I think he's 6'9", 250. Um, I think the 250 might be a little generous right now. It looks to me – I've seen – pictures of him with his prep school so very recently like and and the pangos game was at the end of august Mm -hmm. so within the last let's say four weeks he looks like he's slimmed down a little bit further to me maybe 240 maybe 235 something like that um so in terms of frame and size he should be good to go I, i do think he needs to get stronger but you know, this isn't a, a Marcus Bainham, you know, boy, it's going to be a couple of years before he's even got enough weight on him mm-hmm. where you could see him playing serious minutes, right? It's not that kind of deal. Um, he should be ready to go early. So 
the things you really like are are all on the offensive end. I mean, they're just they're he's a fantastically skilled player. His footwork is as good as anybody you'll see. Um, as I say, finish with both hands. Um, he's clever, knows how to use his body to create space. Um, and I saw him, I saw some clips of him doing it against size. Yeah. So yeah. that's important, you know, cause he's not seven one, you know, he's listed six, nine. I, I think that's probably pretty close. Maybe six, eight, who knows? But, um, you know, you got to be able to get your shot off against guys with length. And I've, I've seen enough of him doing that, that I'm reasonably confident he, he won't have a problem. I'll give you an example. Uh, I did watch some of the stuff from the all-star game or, or the camp game I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also watched uh, a pretty extensive highlight package of his a game from December of this past season. He played... I think it was it was at least his freshman year, and I'm not sure about his sophomore year, but he played his freshman year at a place called Wasatch, which is a prep school in Utah. He happened to be a teammate that year of Matty Sissoko, uh-huh. by the way. Um, and they're a national power. They become a national power. But then last year he was playing for a school called American Fork in Utah and they played a game against Wasatch. Wasatch was loaded. Wasatch had great guard play. They had a kid, Norman Hickman, the point guard who had originally committed to Kentucky and then ended up decommitting and going to Gonzaga. Um, they have another kid pop pops, Isaac, who is going to Texas tech. But the part that interested me is against Jackson. They have a kid who's, and I forget his name. Um, who's going to BYU. And he's listed at six eight, but he's got his, this kid as a seven one wingspan, so legit length uh-huh. inside. And and Kohler did not have any problem finishing in that game. Had a big game offensively. So you like everything on the offensive end. I think he's he looks to me from what I've seen to be a kid who's going to run the floor hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to be necessarily an elite rim runner but he does not look to me like he's going to have any problems so i think he could fit in msu's preferred mode of wanting to get into transition i don't see any red flags there and Um, the skill set that he does have looks like it would transition well in the pick and roll game just his ability to kind of position himself well and and yep he just looks I, like that type of guy who's just going to be good. I at. saw, you know, from what I've seen, I see evidence of at least decent hands. You don't, you didn't see him. There's not much out there with him running pure pick and roll stuff, which yeah. is unfortunate because they act, um, that would be nice, but you don't always, in fact, you rarely see that it, at either end. It, but, and I'm going to get into this in a second when we do talk about weaknesses, because I think there are some, um, you don't see that stuff tested very well in high school. It's why every time there's a big man coming into college basketball in the way the game is played. Now I have a, a, at least a small question mark associated with them because you probably haven't seen them have had to have played the way that they'll have to play in college. Yeah. And mostly that has to do with just the, the prevalence of, of, the screen and roll game. Now, the thing you like about 
Kohler is on one end of things is he does have a face up game. So he could legitimately be a pick and pop option, yeah, which helps. Um, I think he could be effective. I, again, I haven't seen enough to see how good are his hands. You do like the fluidity he shows, though. I mentioned how he he on some of those clips he shows a little bit of a, an ability of a handle that would suggest that he's probably coordinated enough to be a pretty good effective weapon in that game but uh, just the hands i haven't seen enough of uh to know for sure but i'm going to assume until we see otherwise that he'll at least be okay there mm. the the things i think he's got to work on are the the obvious ones the first one i'll mention i, I alluded to a few minutes ago is strength he's got good size but um he's not jacked yeah and he you can always make use of, of a little more strength and he can get stronger um and and use that strength and I, again he's going to a great place to do that he made a very good choice because michigan state has a long track record of helping guys get stronger uh, more so than most programs you know i maintain that probably year in year out the two best places you could go if you were a big kid in my opinion are michigan state and purdue I think they're they're the two best in terms of the total package. Willingness to actually utilize a big man, proven strength and conditioning programs to reshape bodies, um, and and the ability to help you develop a skill set. I think those are the two best places, and particularly for a guy who is a big man with a legit post game. Mm-hmm. And so he made a great decision in terms of needing to address his body and continue to get stronger, improve his conditioning, et cetera. Defense is where I have my question marks. And I mentioned this earlier, like I think he made the right choice because he's going to have to get better, right? Uh, He needs to get better. I mentioned watching that that game against Wasatch, which I thought was a, really about as good a test as you could hope for because it was legitimate opposition that they played mm-hmm. and he had his problems defensively. I mentioned that they had a big kid who's going to BYU. Um, he got, he got worked in the post. Some, the good news is what I saw didn't look to me like things that probably aren't addressable. The things that would really concern you would be, boy, he just can't move laterally. Mm-hmm. That's a problem you probably can't fix. Um, I didn't see that. What I saw were, were combinations of maybe could use a little more strength and just some technique stuff. Like I, I don't think he was playing post defense correctly. Uh-huh. Um, that will change at <laughs> Michigan State. <laughs> um, how he's going to be defending the pick and roll, as I said a few minutes ago, these guys don't don't get tested that way, so your guess is as good as mine. He's not a superlative athlete, but he's also not a stiff. Mm-hmm. So I have optimism, but that's based in very general things. I can't say definitively. Yeah, it's nothing to worry about. We're gonna have to see. But I, but I, I will say this: rarely. I think does Michigan state offer a guy who just physically can't get it done. Yeah. You know, and they offered him and they went full tilt when they offered him. So I have to believe 
they saw what they felt they needed to see. Because Tom Izzo is not willingly just going to just take a guy who puts up some offensive numbers, but figures, ah, I don't think he's got much of a shot at the other end. He's just yeah. not going to do that. So they have, they've seen things that give them reason to believe that he can get better there. I'm just saying it needs to happen. Mm. And, and where that becomes important is when you're trying to figure out how much of an immediate impact does he make? Well, that's going to depend in large part, in my opinion, on how quickly he gets up to speed defensively. Because offensively, I think you could drop him into a Big Ten game tomorrow and he would go get you some points. Mm. You know, what, what wouldn't be acceptable at Michigan State, and we know this, I think, is for a guy to play the way Luca Garza did. Yeah. You know? Just a tremendous offensive talent, great rebounder. Well, good rebounder, not a great rebounder. But a tremendous offensive player, particularly his last two years, and he couldn't guard his shadow. That wouldn't fly at MSU. It just wouldn't, mm. you know. But but then, then again, I tend to think if a Luca Garza was in Michigan State's program, he wouldn't have been that kind of defender. He wouldn't have been allowed to be. He would have had to have improved to some extent. He would have figured some things out most likely and gotten a little better. Mm. Um, that's what I think we'll see from Jackson Kohler. I, I, I didn't see any signs and I don't, I, I haven't seen his wing span. He doesn't strike me as being an exceptional, you know, exceptionally long guy. So I don't think we're looking at a guy who's ever going to be, you know, a Xavier Tillman. Mm. You know, or even a Marcus Bingham <laughs> defensively in some ways. Um, I think what you have to hope for is that he's functional. But if he's functional, then you're going to have a guy who really impacts games because offensively, especially as he gets to be an upperclassman, I, I'm assuming he's going to be a multi-year guy. Um, a kid with his skill set as a junior or senior in Michigan State's program, look out. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said, that offensive, that, that bag of tricks is better than anybody who's been in East Lansing for a long time, in my opinion. It's more complete. Mm-hmm. So it's one to definitely get excited about. Um, I would just say the level of immediate impact is to be determined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so... Another guy we've talked on and off about um, several times, Ty Rogers, um, mm-hmm. has just been flying up the ESPN and the Rivals boards of late. Um, yeah. What do we have any updates on him? We do. You know, you mentioned that with well, the rankings, and and I would say Ty Rogers is probably ranked more consistently than Kohler is. I, I meant to mention that about Kohler. So his rankings run all over the map yeah rivals for some reason has them just outside the top 100 mm-hmm. they have them like 111 or something um i believe 24 7 has kohler in the 60s and espn has them at number 40 so that's a very wide variety of opinion ty rogers seems to settle these days more in the lower reaches of the top 50 mm-hmm. consistently maybe into the 60s um, 
but yeah, he had a Ty Rogers had as good a 2021 as you could have had. You know, he he goes and wins a state championship at Grand Blank. Then he goes into AAU play. His his Mean Streets team, God, I think they might have lost three games all spring and summer. They didn't end up winning Peach Jam. They I believe they got beat in the semis, if I remember correctly. Mm. But they were just great. And I didn't get a chance to see him live, of course, but I saw bits of games online on a couple of occasions. And to me, they reminded me a little bit of some of the better all Ohio red teams that I've seen in, in past years where they didn't necessarily have, you know, sometimes AAU teams you'll have like, you know, two or three top 25 guys on one team. And it's kind of an all-star deal. Mm -hmm. They were not that they had Jalen Washington, who was probably their most highly ranked guy and AJ Casey, who's kind of slid in the rankings. But then other than that, you know, it's Ty Rogers. They had uh, their two point guards were RJ Taylor, his grand blank teammate and Kareem Rozier from Orchard Lake St. Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither of, neither of those guys might even end up as power five guys. That's to be determined. Uh, But that team was really, really good. And Ty Rogers was a big part of that because he played a role willingly and effectively. And, And that was always the question mark to me is just from some of the things I had heard is would he be allowed to settle into situations where he wasn't the focal point Mm -hmm. that they weren't, he wasn't being asked or expected to go get 25 at night at grand blank. Very, very balanced team. Um, He's their best player, but it doesn't function in a way where he goes out and gets 25 a night. Mm -hmm. That's not, and, and it definitely didn't function that way in AAU but his teams win and he's a big part of that, not just for the scoring that he can bring, which he does some, but he's a rebounder. He's an intangibles guy. And maybe most importantly, he's really, really good and really, really versatile on the defensive end. Mm. Um, I just, over the years, I was not very optimistic about Michigan state's chances with him. It just didn't seem like it was going to line up that way. But as time has gone on, I think it's become a greater and greater possibility. And listeners may remember back in the late spring, there seemed to be some indications that there was a newfound enthusiasm both ways, Michigan state to him and him to Michigan state. And at that time, my position was, that's great. That's, that's really cool to hear. Let me know when he visits. Well, he has unofficially visited a couple of times, mm. once over the summer, and then he was he was here actually last weekend for the. Um, I don't think he stuck around for the football game, but he was um, he was in town on Friday of the uh, alumni weekend. Um, so that was a big deal, and then after that, he scheduled an official for October second. Uh-huh. So the fact that he's taking an official visit is the bit that I needed to see to tell me, all right, this is real now. Um, I happen to think that he'd be a great fit at Michigan State. 
because of the way he plays. The things that he does really well and the things that um, he seems to value in his own game are perfect fits with the way Tom Izzo likes to see the game played. Mm. You know, Ty Rogers is a very tough kid. He plays physically. Um, He plays with force. He plays with energy. Um, He is not the most skilled kid you would ever see. He's not a great shooter. I don't know that he ever will be. He's okay. Um, But I don't know that he's ever going to be great. Uh, And because of that, I don't know that I would ever expect him to be a big, big time scorer in college. I think he's the kind of guy that if he was somewhere, maybe a senior season, Mm. maybe he develops into a 15 point a night guy. I could see that happening. But I don't think he's going to be a major, major scoring option in college. But I think he can be a huge part of winning because I do believe he's well put together enough and has enough tools and enough um, understanding of the game that I think he could probably play at least a significant rotation role for any for a good Power 5 team as a freshman because of the things he does well. I think at a Michigan State, if he were to come to Michigan State, I would expect him to play as a freshman. I wouldn't expect him to score 12 points a night, but I would expect him to play and be a guy that you look back at over the course of a season and say that guy helped us win games. Um, Somebody made a comparison not too long ago uh, to Brandon Dawson, and I kind of like that in a sense, he's not the athlete BJ was. I mean, PJ Dawson was a phenomenal athlete, <laughs> yeah. but, but Ty Rogers has kind of emerged. It's funny. I always thought of him as a wing, but as time has gone on, he's, he gets talked about more and more as a four man. He's only about six, 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 seven, but in the modern game, that doesn't preclude you from being a four. Yeah. And he proved in AAU, he was playing the four a lot. So I think he's probably a guy that can play both in college, and I would kind of expect that to happen. Um, But where he reminds me of Brandon Dawson is the intensity, the toughness, and the defense and the defensive versatility. Mm -hmm. Ty Rogers can go out and guard a lot of different guys, and that's valuable, man. That You do that in the right programs, that alone will get you on the court. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to hit a bunch of threes. You don't need to be putting up 25 a night. You guard a variety. You you are a truly, purely switchable defender. You will play. So I think he makes a lot of sense at Michigan State. The fact that he's taking the official, that's a good sign. Where that's going to land, who knows? I I have seen speculation that um, there's an expectation he may take this all the way through the spring. Uh, he's taken one official, I think so far he was just at Illinois this weekend. If you look at the way his recruitment's gone, it's, it's all over the map. I mean, Michigan at one point was considered the favorite for him and then they kind of were nowhere to be seen. And now they seem to be back in. I don't, he hasn't announced taking an official there. He announced a final nine a few weeks ago. That's not very (laughs) stripped down. When you see a final nine, you understand, I think, why some people speculate it'll be the spring, right? Uh, but Alabama's been heavy on them. Memphis has gotten heavy on them recently. Um, I have heard through a couple different people that Xavier and Rhode Island 
our places, our schools that are in the mix. I mentioned he was at Illinois this past weekend. So trying to sort all that out, I think is very difficult. I, I do have the sense that if he stays in Michigan, it's probably going to be Michigan State, not Michigan. Um, and frankly, I, I think, you know, I think, as I say, I, he's he's everything. He's the kind of player that Tom Izzo really values. Mm-hmm. I think his importance to a Michigan State is greater than it might be at some other places. I'm not necessarily saying that vis-a-vis Michigan. I think actually Juwan Howard values some of the same things, at least that Tom Izzo does as well. It's not like when Beeline was there, it was a very different way of viewing basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think compared maybe to some other places, Michigan state is a really good fit for him, I think. But, and there's a big, but there I will, until it's done, I will always have questions, not about him, but about those around him and the way that they view him. Mm. You know, I have to admit, I I am encouraged by the way that his career has gone to date at Grand Blank and in AAU. Because if you'd asked me a couple of years ago and said, hey, do you think his people, quote unquote, are going to be okay with the idea of him being more of a guy that fits in as opposed to the star? Yeah. In terms of the way he plays, I probably wouldn't have believed that. But that is the way it's gone. Like he's, you could argue, especially at Grand Blank, that that he should or could score more than he does. I think that's true. But it's a very well-coached program. They've got a lot of guys that can play. And I think he's been sold on the idea of fitting into their concept as opposed to being the guy that everything else revolves around. If you get my meaning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so well, it's like an intriguing state one. championships, you know, that's right. <laughs> if you win his team, won a state championship and they will be right there along with probably orchard Lake St. Mary as favorites, maybe brother rice too, as favorites this year. Uh, to, you know, they're going to be right there to pick, to defend their title. Mm. And, and then, as I say, his AAU team got to peach jam semis and they only lost a couple games all spring and summer. I mean, they just rolled Mm -hmm. and they had a lot of talent, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't like they were one of these overwhelming teams that you've occasionally seen in the past where it's like, Oh God, they got three top 20 kids. (laughs) Of course they're winning. That was not what mean streets were. Mm. Um, so the fact that they won the way that they did was a testament to the way they put that thing together and that all those kids played together. And he was a big, big part of that. That was, that was actually, it was his AAU season this year that was responsible for the way he is viewed now, how he, you mentioned how he's kind of risen up the recruiting rankings. That's been bringing it more into reality. In my opinion, he should have been in those spots all along. But um, it's pretty remarkable that it happened with him when, you know, you look back at the spring and summer and you look at those those games that they played, he wasn't putting up huge scoring numbers. Mm-hmm. It, what you would read and hear about him is, boy, he just guarded everybody. <laughs> and he, got, he grabbed big rebounds, he made big plays. You know, that's how he did it. And so it's pretty remarkable that playing that way actually got him that kind of uh, recognition because it doesn't usually work that way. Yeah. yeah. 
usually these clowns who do the I shouldn't say clowns, some of them are good, but the people who do this stuff tend to be swayed mostly by, you know, fan talk Big, kind of stuff. How yeah. many threes did this guy hit? What about those dunks? You know, they don't, they're not looking at, Hey, who's winning? Who's mm-hmm. making plays that led to a win? Who can guard a bunch of different people? You know, th- and that's exactly what he did from what I understand all spring, all summer. Mm-hmm. So definitely one to watch again, at least as of right now, I don't think there's anything imminent coming in terms of a decision, but you never know. And, um, and, you know, Michigan state getting him on an official October 2nd is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It definitely, um, solidifies the notion that Michigan state is not just one of the top nine. They're in a lead pack cause he only take five and he's already taken one to Illinois. So you have to think Michigan state will be there in the end, but I don't know when the end's coming. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe we should talk for a second too about where that where that leaves things scholarship wise. Um, yeah. So with Kohler, that makes I believe if nobody returns for an extra year, meaning Brown or Bainham or um, or Hauser, I believe that means that Michigan State would have eleven scholarships committed to. So. If they get, I it may not matter whether they get Rodgers or not. They probably are going to go to the portal. Would be my assumption mm-hmm. um, in the spring, and and I say that because I think they'll probably want to go get another wing. At least it's possible. If you if you don't view Ty Rodgers as a pure wing, which I don't think is safe to do right now, then. Uh, I think Michigan state might need another wing. Of course, this is all so speculative because you could also lose guys to the portal too. Right. True. Yeah. So, so we, we don't know. I, I would bring this up on, on this front too. Uh, I would advise any listeners who haven't yet to go to, if you follow Andy Katz or pull him up on Twitter, you will find a video conversation that he had uh earlier this week with Izzo and Matt Painter and Mark Turgeon and it was it was really good they talked about a variety of stuff in about a half hour um but the salient part was talking about the portal and Mm -hmm. Izzo went through his this this reinforces something that I think I've mentioned here before and I wasn't guessing about this, by the way. I kind of, <laughs> I, I had reason to know this was the case. But Izzo basically said the same thing that I had thought was and understood was their philosophy now, which is he doesn't love the portal. We know that because he talks about how terrible he thinks transfers are and you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and it's a big but, he said this. He said, we're going to offer the kids that we like meaning high school players. Um, and then if we haven't filled all our spots, we haven't addressed all our needs, then we'll go to the portal. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's important there is what that means is you are not likely to ever see a repeat of 2013 and 2014. And if you remember those years, 2013 
they were all in on Tyus Jones. They were all in on Jaleel Okafor. They were all in on Cliff Alexander. They didn't get any of them. And in the spring, they ended up signing Gavin Schilling. If I remember, have I got the years right? Was that Wasn't 13? Best, uh, that year would. That was four. That was 14. That was 14 was uh, the, Best and I was going to get to that was best, but best signed in the spring, I believe, or, or in the fall, I believe it was Tom and Marvin Clark that Marvin. signed late yeah. in that year. But I think it was the year prior, right? That was Alvin Ellis, who was a, a decommitted from Minnesota because they fired Tubby mm. and, um, and then they got Gavin showing, I, I believe I've got, yeah, I've got that right. Uh, that was the 13 class because 12 was Harrison and Zell and Kaminsky and Costello. So it was th- so 13 and 14, those two years combined, Michigan state broadened their, their scope in the spring and signed guys. And I'm not, you know, all those guys were part of final four teams and, you know, it's not that they couldn't play, mm-hmm. but I, I would say that out of those, out of the, that group, in those two years that I've mentioned, none of those guys became stars. They didn't become foundational players. You know, Tom yeah. was probably the closest. Um, and so that tells you something. And, and my position has been, we're not see that again. Mm. And not just for Michigan state. I don't think many programs at Michigan state's level, are going to do that anymore. There, there will always be exceptions. You know what? Uh, Kohler was an exception. They offered him fairly late in the process, although they didn't go to the spring. Yeah. But I really thought when they got to, you know, say through June and they hadn't expanded the pool at all, I really thought they might be done. Now, it turns out they did offer two more guys. They offered Huff and they offered Kohler. But it's worth noting that those are the only two guys who got offers in this class after, let's say, January of last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rest of those guys that they had targeted, including Holloman, the one they got, were all guys who had had offers for quite a while, if I recall correctly. Um, so they really didn't expand it very much at all. It just happens that the two big guys they liked became available or were looked like they might be good fits for Michigan state and, and they went that way, but you're, you know, there will always be the possibility of an exception. You can have guys still like, if you remember a few years ago when Mark Smith in Illinois and Greg Elliott in Detroit, mm-hmm. um, both kind of exploded through big senior seasons and they each had very active, um, high level recruitments in like March and April <laughs> of, of that year. That stuff could still happen occasionally, mm-hmm. but beyond that, I think Michigan State is going to do exactly what Izzo told you he's going to do. They're going to identify the handful of guys they like and that they think they've got a legitimate shot with. They're going to recruit those guys, and if they get enough of them to fill all the slots, fill all the needs that they think they have, then they'll be done. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they'll go to the portal, and that's just how it's going to be. And, you know, that this is the way the sport has changed as a result of a lot of things. I think COVID actually maybe served to accelerate it a little bit 
but it was coming anyway. You know, we were heading down this road anyway. And, and so now, you know, you're in this circumstance where it's, I think two different things going on. One is if you've got a guy already at a power five, whose coat gets fired or just doesn't like the situation he's in for whatever reason, um, you know, he can opt to go somewhere else. And then the other example would be people more like the Tyson Walker situation where they have huge years on the mid-major level and decide they want to play on a bigger platform, on a bigger stage. Yeah, yeah. And that's where Michigan State is going to live for those spots that they don't fill. And I think it's probably a reasonable bet that they'll add at least one guy in the portal this spring. Who that will be, I have no idea. Mm. I don't think anybody does. I'll tell you, I'll guarantee you this. If you ask them last September, whatever it is, September 19th, who Tyson Walker was, they probably wouldn't have been able to tell you. <laughs> so, Well, uh, what other um, developments in recruiting are we looking at? Anything for the 2023 class? I know you mentioned Braylon yep. Green. Um, Colby's yeah, let's, let's talk about him teammate. for a second. So, um Braylon Green, who was a teammate of Imani Bates for a year and then at Ipsy Lincoln and as a freshman and then a sophomore year last year, stuck around there, did not go to Bates Academy. Um, He has opted to, for his junior year, go out to play at a place called Southern California Academy, where, as I mentioned, he's going to be a teammate of Jackson Kohler's. Um, He's been recruited very heavily by Michigan state for a while Hmm. they offer, I think he was, he might've been the second class of 23 offer. I think maybe cam Christie, Max Christie's brother got offered before him. Uh, But that might've been the only one. Um, So this is a kid that Michigan state is very, very interested in. And he's a big time athlete. Combo guard, I think he's more off-ball than on-ball, but he has played some point in the, past, in the past. And I think he's rated a top 20 kid in his class currently. Um, at least some places he is. So big-time talent, no question. Michigan State's been all in on him for a while. And uh, he is slated. I knew that he was slated to take an official October 30th, which is, I believe, Michigan week on the football side. But Jim Camperoni posted last night that uh, he is apparently going to be in town October 2nd as well, which is the week that Ty Rogers is taking his official. So assuming that's true, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. If they get him in twice in a month, and I want to say – he was here either in late August or the beginning of September as well, just before he had gone out to um, to California, to Southern California. So um, a, a, a big deal for Michigan State to be getting him on and around campus this often, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and it can't be anything but a good sign. He's, I know he got a Kansas offer this summer. Um I would expect you're going to see a lot more heavyweight competition for him because he <laughs> yeah. he looks he looks the part. I mean, he's got he's six three, so he doesn't have 
you know, superlative size on the wing. It's, it's only okay. But every other respect, I mean, this is a high-level athlete. He can shoot, uh, can handle the ball, just, just everything you like. Mm-hmm. So definitely a name to watch there. They did recently offer another kid who was at MSU on an unofficial. And I, I can't remember. I don't think it was during the reunion weekend. I think it may have been midweek that he took his unofficial. Uh, Xavier Booker, who's a kid out of Indiana, fits the mold of the long, tall, kind of four-ish men that they've had, like Jaron Jackson, um, Adrian Payne, that kind of body, um, and that kind of game. So highly regarded guy, uh, Purdue and Indiana are in on him heavily, as you would expect. Um, don't know where Michigan State's going to end up fitting uh, in that equation, but they have offered him, which was uh, obviously the first step, and he's visited. So, you know, with a lot of these kind of guys, what you're looking for, of course, is you want to see if they show up in Midnight Madness. That's always a good indicator that the interest is sincere mm-hmm. um, and strong. So he's another name to watch. Uh, as I say, fits a mold of some guys, you know, Marcus Bainham. Generally speaking, in terms of his, the type of player he is physically, um, he's in that mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, another kid, I, I'm not positive i'm not 100 percent that he has an offer yet i think he does um who they were in to see recently uh i don't think he's been on campus real recently yet or at least yet this fall um from birmingham brother rice curtis williams who's a 6-6 uh kind of combo forward tough physical kid, skilled a lot of potential and they've liked him for a long time uh, I know Alabama is very strong in that one, and I believe Michigan just came in to see him at his high school within the light. It was a few days before MFU got in there again. Mm-hmm. So that's another name to kind of keep in the hopper um, for 23. But it's right now I would say the guys that I would put at the top of the list at the moment, and it's really early and subject to change and it will change, I would assume – uh, excuse me, I would assume Cam Christie. Again, Max Christie's younger brother. Um, looks like he's going to end up about a similar size, similar for, they look very similar. Mm. Uh, and he's got a lot of people excited about his game. I would think he's going to be a guy that, you know, Michigan State is going to have a great shot with. And then Braylon Green. Those are, those are the two guys they seem, you know, that I would assume they're most uh, intent on right now. And then it'll change as time goes on, I'm sure. <clears throat> okay. Um, I guess uh, we do have the schedule has come out. Um, not a whole, not too uh, many surprises here. I mean, we start off with Kansas uh, at the um, Champions yeah. Classic. Then you get Western. Um, Butler uh, going to Butler for the Gavit. Yeah, that that'll be interesting at Hankel Fieldhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know Butler's not quite where they had been, um, but still Big East program playing at home. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, uh, and then a loaded field for the battle for Atlantis. Uh, yeah, you could be looking at two top twenty-five wins 
Uh, you got Loyola, Chicago, Arizona State, Auburn, Baylor, UConn, Syracuse, VCU. Um, so that'll be. There's none of those. None of those teams. I don't believe project to be like a preseason top ten. But yeah, just outside. It's, it's balanced. Mm-hmm. It's very balanced, and and you start off with Loyola, which is going to be one of the first games coached by Drew Valentine. That's right. Since he yeah. got that job after Porter Moser moved to Oklahoma. Um, Drew Valentine going against uh, his former boss, Tom Izzo. He was a grad assistant at Michigan State for a couple of years, as I'm sure everybody knows, product of Lansing Sexton, played for his dad, who's a former Spartan, Carlton Valentine, in high school. Um, he's brother of Denzel Valentine, one of Michigan State's all-time greats. Uh, he played his college ball at Oakland for Greg Campy. Mm-hmm. Um, did a couple of years, as I say, as a grad assistant, at the same time Denzel was in school um, for Michigan State, and then he got an assistant's job at Oakland, his alma mater, for a brief period of time. Maybe he was there a year or two at max, and then he got the job at Loyola, and he's been on that Loyola staff during you know this great run that they've had under Porter Moser where you know, they went to a Final Four, and then they obviously <laughs> last year had a great run as well. Um and so he ended up getting promoted to the top job. That's going to be an interesting game. They're, they lost a couple of key guys, but they do have a lot back from that team. So that game is going to be a challenge for Michigan State in the first round of that tournament. That is not a walkover by any means. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're a Michigan State fan, you should keep a half eye on Loyola because – I think we've talked about this before. I believe we've talked about this before here. You know, people are maybe now more than ever interested in, well, what comes next? Because you understand Tom Izzo is not going to coach forever. Mm. I don't know how long he's going to go. I think anybody who claims to know is kidding themselves. I think he, I, I could see it where he retires when his son is done, which would be a couple of years. Um, I could see him going another 10 help permitting, mm. you know, I, I don't think anybody knows he's a, he's such a competitive guy. And I think even with the things he doesn't like about what's, you know, things that have happened in the sport that he doesn't love. I, I just, I have a hard time envisioning him doing anything else, mm-hmm. you know? So you wonder, I mean, people thought Jim Beheim was going to be out of the game 15 years ago. <laughs> seriously you uh, know and and coach k went way longer than i think anybody would have speculated you know if you looked at it in 2005 um so you just don't know but if it were to happen anytime in the near term i think this past year especially what that should be illustrative of is the days of thinking that you're gonna go just take either a hot name among power fives, other power fives, mm-hmm. or, or even necessarily like a mid major plus kind of guy. Like let's say the kind of guy that's a head coach at a Dayton, uh-huh. you know, or a place like that, an Atlantic 10, whatever um, that you think you're going to just go get guys like that and slot them into your program. I, it's getting harder and harder and less and less frequent. Mm-hmm that you're seeing that um, look at 
three gigantic jobs were available, quote unquote, this offseason. Indiana. Indiana ends up hiring an alum, Mike Woodson, from the NBA. Because they, and that may work out, mm-hmm. but that was not viewed as a, as a great, great or automatic kind of thing. They kind of had to go off the page because some of the guys that they had targeted, you know, oh, Brad's, you know, Brad Stevens mania, even especially after Brad Stevens retired from the coaching job with the Celtics, yeah. didn't happen. You know, wasn't ever going to happen. North Carolina. They hire Hubert Davis, an alum and, a, and an assistant for several years under Roy Williams. Duke, Kay announces he's retiring after this season. Mm-hmm. They hire John Shire, who'd been an assistant on his staff for many years, um, former player there as well. What does that tell you about Michigan State? Well, if you didn't believe before that whenever Izzo decides to hang it up, that he was likely going to be the biggest voice in the room in terms of who his successor is. And that was going to mean it was going to be somebody from the MSU family. Mm -hmm. If you didn't believe that already, what happened this summer should have driven that home hard. Yeah. (laughs) That is what's going to happen. Barring something really unforeseen. Mm -hmm. And, and so what that means, if you look around, okay. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, one thing that hasn't happened is Izzo's assistant tree has not produced, you know, massive, obvious successors who have gone on to be head coaches, you know, in other places. Brian Gregory is at South Florida, and once upon a time, if Izzo had left for the pros in 2010, Brian Gregory would have been the guy. I, I have every reason to believe that was the case. You can look at the way his career has unfolded and think that maybe MSU got lucky there, mm. you know, that it didn't happen. Um, but I, I don't think he's a candidate now. I don't think he would be. Um, you know, Doug Wojcik and Mark Montgomery are two guys who have come back into the program now and are assistants again. I don't think either one would ever be a candidate. Mm. Um, some people seem to believe, and I could speculate on the reasons why that you know Dane Fife was the heir apparent that was never going to be the case and that was proven I think ultimately by what's happened this offseason that he joined Mike Woodson's staff at Indiana yeah um that's not going to happen Tom Crane say no more that's not going to happen it never (laughs) was I think right now you have two possibilities and really only one that's a strong one the strong one would be Dwayne Stevens mm. because he's been an associate head coach for a long time. He's been in the program forever. He played here. Tom has recruited him as a high school player. He brought him back as a coach. He's been an integral part of so much success. Um, he's the obvious name, but the other name that seems possible to me is Drew Valentine. And so if you want the best possible process for Michigan state. If you believe that Tom Izzo probably retires at some point within the next five years, let's say you want drew Valentine to be successful at Loyola. Mm -hmm. The only part of the equation that's missing is he didn't go to Michigan state. Everything else is there. He's a Lansing kid. His dad and his brother 
are Spartans. He was an assistant here, grad assistant. It's all those pieces are there. Mm -hmm. So I think he is someone you would consider as part of the family. Right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I digressed from where we were intending to go on this, but it's part of what makes that game intriguing and why I do think Michigan state fans should really want to see Drew Valentine succeed at Loyola. Mm-hmm. Not too fast, not fast enough that he ends <laughs> right. up with another high level elite job that Michigan state would have difficulty poaching him from, mm. but you want him to be successful there. And that first meeting is, is going to be interesting. Mm. But anyway, so that's part of the schedule that they're going to be in Atlantis. And that'll be challenging, even though it doesn't look like there's any super, super heavyweights there. There's a lot of good programs. Yeah. Uh, and then they get the ACC big 10 challenge against Louisville, uh, but they get that one at home. Uh, is that in December? Uh, that is December date? 1st. Okay. That might be, I'm not positive of this, but I think that might be the first game that Chris Mack is back. Chris Mack, their head coach, for those who haven't paid attention in the offseason, there was a huge, well, not huge relative to the other scandals that have happened at Louisville over the years. But (laughs) by most school standards, it would have been a big deal. There was a big falling out he had with his assistants. He ended up firing both of them, Luke Murray, who is the actor, Bill Murray's son, um, and had been with Chris Mack since his days at Xavier. He got fired. He ended up at UConn. And then um, Dino Guardio, who had been head coach at uh, Wake Forest for a while, um, then was on TV with ESPN for several years, and then Chris Mack brought him back to be on his staff at Louisville. Um and they had apparently been like long-term, like, you know, decades friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a big falling out there. Guadio accused would knew he was going to be dismissed, wasn't happy about it. There was some type of conversation where Guadio was threatening Chris Mack with exposing some violations, which were not heavy duty stuff. Mm-hmm. It was fairly minor league stuff. But Chris Mack taped him. He taped the conversation. Jeez, and so Guadio has legal problems, like criminal problems, I believe, as a result of the things he did. But Chris Mack Extortion. was suspended. <laughs> I think I read six games. So I'm not positive, but I think that Michigan State game might be his first game back. It, suffice it to say, things have not gone really well for him at Louisville. You, people may remember his his Louisville team beat MSU uh, in Louisville. Was it two years ago? I think it was Cassius's yeah. senior year, which seems like a decade ago now. But they beat him in overtime. Uh, yeah, and it was kind of a weird game. Michigan State wasn't playing very well at that point, and um, and Louisville kind of stole one. But people had a lot of expectations around Chris Mack. He'd been really good at Xavier, and I think he was, you know, he and um, uh, Archie Miller, who had been at Dayton at the same time, mm-hmm. were the two hottest names for a few years running. And then, you know, Chris Mack gets the Louisville job. Archie Miller gets the IU job. Well, Archie Miller's already been given the Ziggy. And Chris Mack is not in great shape at Louisville. Um, the people in Louisville expect to win. Mm-hmm. Big, big, big. 
and they have a right to because Denny Crum won for forever, and then they got Rick Pitino, and he won the entire time he was there. So they're used to, and I'm not, you know, obviously various recruiting shenanigans and all that stuff. You can argue that stuff, but I'm just talking about on the court performance. Mm-hmm. That is a program where basketball matters greatly. It probably matters to that school as much as it does anywhere in the country. Um, and they are used to winning. And so Chris Mack has not been disastrous, but he hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been nearly as good. I think people thought, wow, after all the, the shambles that, that you would think uh, the program had been left in after Rick Pitino's various messes, um, they go out and they get Chris Mack. Wow, you know, beat goes on. I think everybody expected he would just go right through and restore Louisville, and once again they'd be winning or contending for ACC titles, you know, looking to get to Final Fours, all that stuff we've come to expect. Has not happened. Mm-hmm. Um I don't believe expectations are huge coming into this season that he's going to immediately turn it around. So that'll be an interesting game. You might almost compare that in a slight way. It's not a perfect comparison to what the football team just did this weekend mm-hmm. where they went in and beat Miami. That feels like a great win because of the name. Mm-hmm. I will, we'll see at the end of the football season, how that win looks um, I have a feeling that Miami, well, we know this much. Miami isn't, you know, they're not going to make a, a 30 for 30 about this era of Miami football. <laughs> no. you know? um, and Louisville could kind of be a little bit of a corollary for the basketball program this year where it's a great historic name that feels good if you beat them, but they're not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's how it's going to look for Louisville. At least I have a feeling. And I don't know if it does roll out that way. I don't know that Chris Mack is going to have a job come spring, which is would have blown everybody's mind three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get um, Toledo. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's a bunch. Who else from the Mac? There's another game or two with Mac schools, right? Eastern again. Eastern. Yeah. Coached um, by former Spartan assistant, Stan Heath, who got the job down there. Uh, looks like uh, where is it? Western, I think Western again. Okay. Oh, well, Oakland. So, um, they get them at Little Caesars. So that's three Mac games and Oakland, and then you have the heavyweights. Um, so what we are seeing there is a shift in scheduling that I think you may start seeing play out, you know, this is again, maybe another impact of COVID that mm-hmm. might hang around post COVID Doc on wood. We're post getting to post COVID. Um, you, what you don't see there are those buy games with say schools from the deep South, yeah, right? Southern Which, Houston Baptist yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and so instead you've got, Again, what do we say? Three MAC schools, so two of the Michigan schools. It was Eastern and Western, not Central, I think, this year. And Toledo. Um, and then you add in Oakland, which is an annual thing from uh, from the horizon. Um, is U of D on the like schedule two, this year? Looks like they still got two um, games that haven't been scheduled yet. Two non-conference that haven't been I thought finalized. they'd announced everything. Why are you seeing That's- an open date? 
Oh, that's just I don't the latest thing I saw. It looks like they had two more. One, two. That would be six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, no, I think that's it. Because if I if my math is right, that's ten non conference games, and then you got twenty league games. The two dates you may be 30. seeing there are probably Big Ten games in December. Okay. okay. Which just hadn't been they haven't announced yet. Which or I think they have now, but um, they probably weren't at the time. What you're looking at was so. So it's really, if you think about it, it's three games against MAC opponents. You got a Horizon opponent, so that's four. But then. You got a Big East opponent. You got this year, you know, Champions Classic. You got a mm-hmm. Big Twelve in Kansas. Um, you got an ACC opponent, and then you got three games in Atlantis, which will probably be two high majors plus Loyola. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a schedule. It's a very difficult schedule. Uh, it's going to be challenging, but I think it reflects a shift that's happened where now it seems to be more about regionalized scheduling to some extent um, and less about, um, you know, those buy games Mm -hmm. where Michigan state would usually have what two or three of those. Yeah. What, what's really remarkable about it to me too, is it's happened where you could argue that the non-conference has been upticked a little bit. The Mac isn't what it once was, but I guarantee you, Nine times out of ten, Eastern and Western are going to be better than Houston Baptist. Yeah. You know? Um, They've done this, though, in a period where we've also expanded to 20 league games. So, by my math, that's a 30-game schedule in the regular season. And 25 of them are high major opponents. And Loyola is one of the five who isn't. And yet we know they'll probably be pretty good. Yeah. That's that's remarkable. I mean, that is, we we talk about Michigan State and scheduling over the years, but I don't think this is something that's getting people's focus enough. And it's not just Michigan State, by the way. Michigan State more than others, because Michigan State annually plays in the Champions Classic, which gives them an extra game that nobody else in the league has Mm -hmm. against that caliber of opponent. Um, But, you know, you look at... I haven't looked at Indiana's schedule, but, you know, Indiana always plays in that that in-state thing now that they do in Indianapolis with Butler and Notre Dame and Purdue. Um, they're playing, I'm sure, in a holiday tournament. They play a Big Ten ACC challenge. Some years, just like Michigan State, they'll rotate into the Gavit games where they play a Big East opponent. I mean, th- you know, th- this is this is to one degree or another the case across the Big Ten, mm-hmm. that you're just playing high major after high major after high major, whereas it used to be, okay, you got 18 league games, you probably play – 12 non-conference 11 or 12 non-conference games at least and you know maybe six or seven of those non-conference games are against non-high major opponents well those days are gone mm-hmm. you know it's the good news is that's really that should be really good in general for your metrics come march um the bad news is there could be more losses there than you like yeah, yeah. so 
it uh, it should be challenging. I mean, other than Kansas, I don't think you're you're looking at anybody that looks like an obvious um, Final Four contender. Because I, as I say, I don't think anybody in Atlantis is a preseason top ten type of team. Obviously, you do have the defending national champions, but they've lost a bit mm-hmm. um, from that team. Um, but boy, there's some big names. I mean, if you're, you know, theory, you've got Louisville, you got Kansas, you know, you might have who else is in Atlantis? Like Syracuse is in Atlantis. Auburn, Auburn, like Baylor this year. Yeah, I mean, there's. There's definitely a lot of big names that Michigan State could be facing, even if they're not necessarily, you know, that top four kind of opposition. Mm. Um, and then you get into the Big Ten, and I can tell you, um, just for listeners to, to give you a heads up, we may have mentioned this before, but as we get into next month, as we get into October, we're going to turn back to um, our annual uh, preseason um preview of the big 10 and i've been working on that i'm about halfway done and i started at what i perceive to be the top and let me tell you um this is gonna be another loaded year (laughs) i don't i don't i don't know if it's gonna be quite the same deal last year was where you had so many teams in the top five consistently Mm -hmm. Um, but it is going to be another loaded year. There are a lot of teams that, at least on paper, to me, look very, very good. Um, so it's it's going to be challenging, no doubt about that. Okay. Well, um, anything else, Rod? No, I think I think that's it. If uh, if we get any recruiting movement, we'll let you know. But I'm not anticipating anything else in the near term. Um, so probably our our next visit with listeners will be, um, you know, early next month when we start with our Big Ten preview. Okay. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail, the ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.